Hi everyone, I'm Amelia Quint, and you're listening to Bad Astrologers, where we take a cultural, spiritual, literary, and mythological look at the heavens. As always, this is an independent production funded entirely by Patreon. The Bad Astro patrons are, in fact, the most charming, delightful, and magical group of humans I've interacted with on the internet, and I love giving them gifts, especially with the Yule season just around the corner. When you sign up, you get access to monthly horoscopes and forecasts, taroscopes, the archive of show notes and bonus episodes, and the chance to ask a question about your personal natal chart during the monthly Q&A. If that sounds like your cup of tea, or eggnog in this case, head over to patreon.com slash badastro and stay for a spell. Another way to show your support, a free way, might I add, is to leave a five-star review on iTunes so the magic algorithm will share the show with more wonderful people just like you. And be sure to follow the show at Bad Astrologers on Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date on the latest releases and benefits. Okay, a few more announcements as this very long year begins to end, finally. First, my books are still open for 2020, but the slots are filling up quickly, so if you want my take on your stars for 2021, I would love to work with you. Just head over to ameliaquint.com book a reading to do that. And if you're interested in mentoring from me or joining my astrology apprenticeship program, I'm accepting applications, and it's basically like listening to a solo episode of Bad Astro, but tailored specifically to what you want to learn and accomplish. And there are mystery charts. You can find all the details at ameliaquint.com mentoring. That's everything for now, so let's move on to the episode. Eliza Kelly is the host of the Stars Like Us podcast, the resident astrologer for Cosmopolitan, the author of The Mixology of Astrology and Starring You, and also an old friend. She's as delightful on this episode as she is in her many online appearances, including recently on The Drew Barrymore Show, and with her Venus and Libra, it's impossible not to adore her. We recently caught up on her podcast, and we had so much fun that I had to return the favor. Our conversation here twists and turns from the eighth house and haunted things and to the Venus signs of our favorite artist, but we spend the most time doing what astrologers do so well, future tripping. We talk about how far into the future you should read transits, the merits of predictive astrology, and not rushing your own healing. And we imagine what the Saturn-Uranus squares of 2021 might have in store. It might involve the moon and aliens, but mostly it's about hope. So sit back, Relax your shoulders, breathe deep, and let's start the show. Hi, Eliza. Thank you so much for joining me on Bad Astrologers today. Hello, Amelia. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for returning the favor. I had so much fun on your show, and I just, I had to have you over. Well, I'm, I'm really delighted. It's, I feel like we are making up for so much lost time right now, and it feels really good. It's true. I still love that all this is happening during the, the double Mercury Mars retrograde. It feels right. So Yes, absolutely. We're taking we're we're really like leaning into a very difficult transit in a really positive mm-hmm. way. So that's a wonderful thing. 
Maybe this is a good thing for other people to hear that like retrogrades, they are, I'm not saying this retrograde period has been easy at all, but they're kind of tricky. And you, if you can find the right tricks to make it work, like reconnect with a long lost friend um, that you haven't talked to in a zillion years, it works out really nicely. Yes. All right. So, you know, I'm about to ask you the traditional first bad astrologers question, which I'm so excited to hear your answer. It's what is your earliest memory of being drawn to the spiritual side of life, whether that's astrology or tarot or something else? Oh, that is such a great question and such a complicated question to answer. Um, I, you know, in in the present moment, um, in any sort of like, you know, interview that I do where somebody's like, how did you get into this crazy thing? It's like, um, there's so many different versions of the answer that I could give, ranging from like Mm -hmm. the cheeky, like it was written in the stars to um, something that is like, you know, more technical of like, well, it was in 2013 that I first decided to formalize a thing that was already, that has always been interesting. You know, I went back for, as I've been working on my manuscript, which will be released in book form in 2021, I really tried to answer this question. And I went back in social media history, and it was really a very deeply triggering and upsetting experience. I, I mean, I'm talking live journal, blurdy. Like, I found my oh passwords my for things when I was like a preteen. And I was talking about being a Leo a lot then. And I was talking about um, the patterns of. Libra men and Virgo men <laughs> and then I mean, there's also I'm talking about like 13 year old boys so you know I I think that this has always been in my rhetoric and I think the reason it's always been in my rhetoric is because I had an uncle my aunt's husband who was an astrologer but I didn't know that he was an astrologer until I was in my 20s and he died when I was three so I didn't know that he had done a birth chart for me when I was born, which he then gave to my mom. Um, But I guess because there was an astrologer in my family, there was always, you know, that was not a uncommon thing to just, you know, mention, be like, oh, what is he? When's his birthday? Oh, you know, Mm -hmm. Virgo men. Oh, God, not them again. And so I was like, I was kind of (laughs) just imitating what my family was saying casually. Mm -hmm. Um, But sort of separately from that, I have been a very witchy and paranormal, supernatural kind of person from the time, from for as long as I can remember. Um, I remember standing in this mirror in my childhood apartment that I, I, I swear is a portal mirror and Ooh. staring at myself. And I must have been like, you know, I, my parents divorced when I was six. So these are memories from before I was... Five, I that I would have been in this mirror, and I remember staring at myself in this mirror and being like, and like thinking I was a ghost, and sort of like in touching my skin and interacting, being like, "Am I the ghost? Is the ghost here with me?" I was always that kid who wanted to do seances. I had Ouija boards, like I was always like making concoctions and witchy things. And then I would say most in in the creepiest version of my childhood interest in supernatural stuff I was obsessed with burying things and 
I would bury these like memory boxes um, whenever I could. I would like write also, also kind of like a message in a bottle, I think, is where mm-hmm. I got it from, where I would write like to whoever is reading this in the future. Like my name is Eliza. I am five years old. Like I live here and here. These are my favorite colors and things. And I would put it in some sort of like can or box or whatever I had access to and sometimes just the paper itself and I would bury it and that's what I would do in like fucking Central Park I would go up on the trees and like bury them in the trees and it was this sort of like I felt very passionate about trying to maintain my history and recognize that there's going to be a life that exists after I'm no longer here and Mm. wanting to sort of like um, catalog the experience of being alive right now in recognizing that there is there are these other sort of dimensions and lives that will exist before and after mine. So interacting with the physical world in that way, I think made it easier for me to think about spirituality because it felt already very much embedded into the way that I was living and my like conscious psyche. Mm-hmm. What an amazing story with so many different facets. I'm I'm obsessed basically. But first of all, I I love what you said about burying things and wanting to do séances and being so connected to the spirit world because the first thing that jumped out about your chart to me was your beautiful 8th house sun in Leo, oh, yeah. which is such a <laughs> paradox. Um, but I know you've described yourself before as an eighth house person. Um, so it sounds like you were really in tune with that from an early age. I, I was very eighth house before I had years before I ever knew what the eighth house was. Mm. I dressed up as I, I had every Halloween. Halloween has always been my favorite holiday. Every Halloween I had to be the dead version of my favorite thing. So, you know, I love Beauty and the Beast. So I had to be Dead Bell, which basically meant the costume with blood on it. Like it was always oh my like goodness. I had to do the the spooky version of anything that I enjoyed. I I loved everything that was like supernatural, occulty, magic, witchcrafty, um for I I mean beyond what I can even remember. That was always fascinating to me. Um so yes, I when I found out that I was in eighth house, stellium, sun, sun, I don't, I don't know what um, house calculation system you use, but the discovery of all of these planets in my eighth house felt, one, overwhelming, and then two, completely validating, because I was like, oh yeah, this, this has always been the case. This is true. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I use whole signs, but I like to look at Placidus like, just for another flair. And I think what I noticed about using whole signs versus Placidus is that usually significations from one show up in the other, just in a different place. Like for me, your moon in Pisces is so very much the the spirit communication, the child who is standing in the mirror wondering if they're a ghost, um, that kind of thing too. Um, though yeah, I, I have is to it say, in the third house in whole in whole sign? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I feel like spirit communication is the the perfect example of that for sure. It's beautiful. Um, also, mirrors are so scary. I feel like I'm connecting with you on the Scorpio level. Um, I've always been super scared of mirrors. I once moved into a haunted house that had a scary mirror upstairs. And TLDR, we ended up moving 
and breaking our lease because stuff got weird. <laughs> Do you think that it was because of the mirror? Huh? Do you think it was because of the mirror? Well, oh, there's a whole, there's a whole story. The house had been, we should have known from the story when we moved in that there was, things were going to go down. It was an older home. It had these amazing stained glass windows and architecture, but it hadn't been lived in for many years after an old woman passed away in the house and she had been the sole occupant for a while. And there was a lock, like a upstairs that hadn't been used. And um, she had apparently had like children that had passed away. And that was uh, the upstairs was where the mirror was and there was old children stuff. It was bad, 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 bad vibes. Um, I, yeah. I have been trying to figure out, like I've been really, in, I've been in my, in my own scorpionic way, I've been ruminating on levels of haunting. If people can be haunted, if houses can be haunted, if furniture can be haunted, what, and then like if a, an object being haunted then can like attach to other things, like, you know, these are, this is just what it looks like inside of my brain all the time. It's like, we what, what are we things that are haunted? <laughs> So where have you landed on the haunting? Do you have like I feel like your Mercury in Virgo like has a haunting chart somewhere? Yeah, yeah, of course, see? a haunting yeah. pyramid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely think people can be haunted. I definitely think furniture can be haunted independently from spaces. Agreed. And I think that spaces can be haunted, but I don't think that they jump really from one thing to another. Okay, this is fascinating. Um, isn't it interesting that cursed has sort of entered the popular lexicon as something that we all are like, oh, that object, that's a cursed object, or totally, so on and totally. so forth. It's just weird to me. I think people are starting to, people are talking a lot more about ancestors too. I think people are just starting to wake up to the fact that this has always been there. Um, we just haven't looked at it in a while, right? Yes, I think that it's, so I, um, in the past several months, have moved, um, not permanently, but I'm, I've been occupying a house that is built in 1840, and mm -hmm. the original, some of the original um, folks who built the house are buried across the street, and I, you know, like, in, in their 1840s, Oh, wow. You know, and I'm pretty sure that someone is buried on the property because I haven't been able to find the record of this one person. But it's just been a, a true delight for my eighth house. I'm having a time of my life going. I'm, you know, connecting with like the the county archivist and like trying to find records. And I, I'm like on other people's ancestry.com accounts, like being like, oh, that's actually not your, that's actually not your great, great, great grandfather. This is your great, 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 great grandfather. <laughs> Just based on being in a house that has so much history. But of course, with mm. that history comes also, you know, very much embedded into it is the history of the United States and colonialism and the stolen land, you know, and to be excuse me, to be a mindful person in this moment um, and to, as we move into a new era, into this new phase of less earth energy, less mine energy and more air energy, ha taking these spaces and then re and making sure that they're being given back or redistributed or our value set is changing as to what they look like and what it means and how to occupy 
a space that, you know, I didn't build, but I'm in, in a more thoughtful Mm -hmm. and mindful way. That is so true. And I think that is what is so needed with your your voice and the eighth house understanding. And I I have seen a lot more of that in the conversation. And I think, do you think that's a Uranus and Taurus thing of people rethinking paradigms of possession? I'm really interested to see what Uranus in Taurus is going to do for us next year. Um, I think that all of the squares that are going to be formed Um, Mm -hmm. Jupiter squares and Saturn squares and then um, you know Pluto obviously getting closer and closer to Aquarius itself like I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Uranian value changes in in these in this next I mean it's we still have a ways to go with the transit we're only at eight degrees right now so we're still in the first decan you know when we get into the second and third decan I think that we're going to have a very different understanding of possession absolutely and i think i feel like you are very much at the epicenter of this because it's on your ic right now almost it is it is yes how has that been for you well i have been i was i'm scared i have to say to be perfectly honest i'm very you know i have had um my grandma and my mom are very important to me they are also um a great amount of my personal journey in this world has been to understand and sort of figure out how to take care of them and be the Mm. caregivers of people who are supposed to kind of be my caregivers. For a while, my grandma was like on the same team as me, taking care of my mom, but then she, you know, her dementia really like intensified a few years ago. So now I'm taking care of her and my mom She's in a nursing home right now. The first, you know, the first time that Uranus crossed my IC, I, I was like, you know, the height of COVID. And I was like, I just don't know if she's going to make it. She mm-hmm. did, thank God. But I still, you know, it's still going, it's there for a little while. So thinking about, you know, how does this relate to the foundation and the home has been slightly intimidating. But then also at the same time, I am spending time in upstate New York, which I've never ever spent in before. I've always been like a city person. So I feel mm-hmm. like that Uranian change has been really welcome and really exciting. Well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing that. I wish I could give you a hug through the, the <laughs> Zoom screen or the Skype screen. But yeah, I see transits are, are so difficult. And I think you mentioning that it was both your grandmother and your mom is important because one thing we all, we know that I see is foundations and we know that it's home, um, but it's also family and lineage and especially the feminine lineage. So it sounds like that's been really, really challenging. But do you think that knowing the astrology of what is happening has made it not easier to deal with, but maybe more meaningful or you feel more connected to the symbolism of what's going on? I think that one of the ways that I think that astrology is extraordinarily powerful at understanding that we live in cycles within cycles within cycles. Mm-hmm. And I find, you know, with my five-year-old ass trying to bury everything, I'm finding there <laughs> to be an incredible amount of healing from unburying things now and taking things and, you know, exposing things and trying to bring light to things and asking critical questions and and trying to get a sense of really, you know, where did some of these 
um, these ancestral issues that my family has been facing come from. And part of this journey for me has been also uh, a, a sort of tracking and understanding the mental health that has been untreated in my family for so long. And mm-hmm. that is a really interesting thing because my and my son and South Node are conjunct. My impulse is to bury, right? But yeah. really, I want to be, I'm right now, I'm trying to like bring things out and expose things so that I can at least see what's going on and then be able to make best decisions from there. Mm-hmm. I love that idea of unburying things and exposing things. And that I feel like that is the real strength of astrology is helping us like illuminate and really see and reveal the, the deepest parts of ourself. On your website, if I may, there is this one thing that you say that I really, really like. You say that um, astrology provides an ancient vocabulary that helps us understand our incredible superpowers as well as our frustrating blind spots. And I think that acknowledgement of the frustrating blind spots is really beautiful and important. Um, so in your practice, when you are looking at someone else's chart or even your own, like how do you approach remediating or just showing some love to those frustrating blind spots? Well, you know, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because it's, it's sort of, I have to remember that I need to practice the same thing that I offer um, yes. for my clients. So one of the things that I'm very conscious and cognizant of when I'm working with clients is recognizing that these things take time. Not <laughs> everyone can handle everything in one session, nor should they be told everything in one session. And um you know, it, talking to a 23-year-old, there's not really any reason for me to, like, ha- start, like, pounding into Saturn shit yet. You know, we have time before Absolutely. we need to get there. And similarly for me, it's like I can see the road ahead, but just because I can see it doesn't mean I'm emotionally, mentally, physically even there to deal with it. So I have to remember that just having the knowledge of these transits upcoming doesn't mean that I'm in the state of mind where I really can understand how to embody them and process them. So I really actually try to look at my transits um, just in a moment, maybe like look sort of a month ahead tops, tops at what is going on. But mm-hmm. the, when I'm compelled to look at transits when, I, when something happens in my life, and then I look at my transits and I say, okay, this and this, rather than try to future trip about them, because obviously knowing this language, having this is like, you know, basically my second language, it's very easy for me to be like, and then this and 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 this, but it's not helpful because I'm where I am right now. I know what I know right now. I can certainly anticipate that there's going to be some wild shit, you know, in the future, but it's not particularly helpful if I'm not in the emotional state to even process it. Hmm, that is so important. And I feel a little bit like you're speaking directly to me right now, <laughs> a little bit attacked, but in a, in a good and wonderful way. Um, I love hearing how other astrologers approach transits just because it is so tempting to look You know, I used to have a rule about only six months ahead and then it became a year and then I really, I've studied transits a lot more deeply this year um, because I'm entering into a period where there's a lot of outer planet stuff going on and I just, I think out of an effort to want to control it (laughs) Um, (laughs) because I know it's coming. I'm like, well, if I read enough about what's going to happen when 
uh, Jupiter and then Neptune a couple years later come across my IC and ping my mutable cross, um, then my life won't implode. You know, then I won't have to experience pain. Um, but you, but you will, you know, will. and that's, and that's the crazy thing. It's like, I, I feel like, you know, one of the lessons of my Saturn return was being so, was the arrogance of going into my Saturn return. I'm a Saturn world mm. person. I had already been working with astrology. I knew Saturn. I got it. I understand its pain. Saturn is in my 12th house. And my Saturn return was so painful and challenging in ways that I wouldn't even I can't even articulate because it's mm-hmm. in my 12th house and because <laughs> it was because it took me by surprise you know it yeah. was a just it was a shock despite the fact that I was like so like Saturn hyped up I had been like training at the Saturn gym the whole time <laughs> but I it was like <laughs> no your Saturn return is actually going to be about something you would were not anticipating yeah, you and I both had Saturn returns that were relatively close to our um, Uranuses and Neptunes. Um, and so I had a similar experience where it was just complete and total shock. And the I love that you said the arrogance of going into a Saturn return. Like, I think that is part of the Saturn return experience. Like, we all go in with that arrogance and we all leave with our asses kicked. Totally, um, <laughs> totally. And after that, I was like, you know what, I'm going to stop acting and anticipating that I have any idea like what these transits are going to look like too far in advance because I I have no idea. I don't know what it's going to mean. I don't because the circumstances of my life are going to also influence, mm-hmm. you know, like whether my grandmother is still alive or not is going to influence certain other, you know, the way that the, the these squares are going to happen with Uranus, you know? Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. I wonder with um, Saturn, so you're a Capricorn rising. I love Capricorn risings. I'm married to one. Um, How has your relationship with Saturn and that energy changed? Of course, like after your Saturn return, but especially over this last couple of years with everything moving through Capricorn and really shining a light on that. Well, through the time that Saturn has been moving through Capricorn, I, well, let's back up for a second. When Saturn was in Scorpio and Sagittarius, when, which is basically the bulk of my twenties, um, I really was struggling to find my way. And I started my, uh, you know, I co-founded this very ambitious astrology dating app project when I was 23 and ran it for a really like you know it's now seeing that Quibi closed after six months like Helen and I did like really fucking we really we had like fifty thousand dollars and we did our Mm -hmm. very best and we kept that alive for two years really like just pushing and pushing and pushing but when it failed and when it stopped I was not only in um back where I was before but I was actually in a a much worse situation because I Mm -hmm. had embedded my identity into this concept that then had nowhere to go so I had not only was I still broke still in debt still sort of aimless but I also then felt like my whole person had been a failure I felt like I was a failure Mm -hmm. and there was no way I had no idea how to recover from that so 
in 2016, so Saturn is still in Sagittarius. I moved back to New York from Los Angeles. It. I started to, I Jupiter had been in my eighth house. It moved into my ninth. Mm. I started working with Annabelle hands-on. I didn't have a job. So I was just going every day. She was hosting these workshops out of her apartment. And I was just going every single day and just like, all studying, studying, studying more and more and more. I had already been studying, but this was just like, I was immersed in it. I took a shit mm-hmm. job. I was like, okay, well, this is, I'm just going to have a stupid job and I'm going to then have passions, you know? I'm going to th- have things that mm-hmm. I love. And that felt like I can live with that, you know? And then right when Saturn entered Capricorn, the stupid job that I had just shut down. It just quit. Like everyone just was fired like on the spot wow. one day. Yeah. And I was working oh as an God. assistant. Like I had no stake. Like it was like there was nothing. Yeah. There was no, it wasn't like they were like, okay, here's three months severance. And it was when Saturn went into Capricorn that I got time. And it was the first time that I had time to build something where that three month severance of a very, may I add, like mediocre paying job so like not like (laughs) not like good three months severance but just knowing that I could pay my bills for three months gave me enough time to strategize of how I could start over again and I feel Mm. like my relationship with time was really time and money time and freedom but time is sort of the common denominator which of course is so Saturn Saturn is the timekeeper, the 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 watcher of all things with the clock Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was really how my relationship with time changed. And then as Saturn has been in Capricorn for what feels like three decades, it just feels like it's been here forever. I feel like my relationship with time has continued to evolve. And as we're reaching its sort of end, I feel like now I have learned that I need time for myself. And that was Mm -hmm. something that I didn't have time for before. But now as it's ending, I'm like, well, you can... You can fill every single hour of your day with work, but you're not present if you do that. You know, you're not like building solid. You're not, you know, investing in your family. You're not like fortifying a future like you're just working. Mm. And and that is a sort of a very, I guess, long winded way of saying I feel like my Saturn story moving from the 12th into my first seeing this evolve has been about understanding the benefits and then also the um, the uh, the temptations of time and how to manage both of those things. Wow, incredible. I First of all, that story matters so much because I think, and it's a story that I very much relate to, you and I were on sort of parallel life tracks going through parallel um, life-crumbling experiences where I entered my Saturn return and was in a much worse position than when I started and had to build it all back again with debt and hard work and all of that. And it's just now leveling out. But I think, you know, as astrology has become, it's been surreal for you, I'm sure, too. Astrology has become this very glamorous, um, everywhere kind of thing. It's not on the fringes and, and, you know, everybody knows about the memes. Everybody knows their sun, moon rising. And I think there are people who would look to um, you and be like, she, she has it all figured out or like everything is perfect. With Instagram astrology comes the trappings of, you know, the, the filter of what people want to put on you, which is a very like descendant kind of thing, I guess. But what I'm trying to say is that 
Yeah, thank you for sharing because first of all, you're not by yourself. I'm very much have had a similar experience. And two, I think it's important that people know the hard work and the pain and the effort it takes to sustain something that you absolutely love. Yeah, Um, and I think that that's this, like if I can offer any sort of Saturn ruled guidance, it's the time aspect of things. Like, you know, I, I am so inspired by so many people who see astrology and are like, I can, I want to make a career out of this. You know, like I want to use this as, I want this to be my life. And I just have to say that that was not at all what I thought was going to happen for me. So I didn't approach moving Mm -hmm. into learning astrology with the intention of making money from it in like as an astrologer myself, you know, Mm -hmm. um, so I I don't I can't really advise on how to yeah. learn astrology <laughs> and make a business out of it simultaneously because to me they were very different things um, mm-hmm. that found that were that found this magical connectivity but it was only mm-hmm. through time that they were able to coalesce. Yeah, absolutely, and it's so hard. I think that during Saturn and Capricorn. Um, with Jupiter there, it's been, we've all been feeling like time has this weird elastic quality right now, um, with, especially with the lockdown procedures, because there's moments where you feel like you have so much time and it's so boring or you feel so isolated from the things you'd like to be doing or the people you'd like to be doing them with and the places you'd like to go. Um, and then times where, because everything is so intense and wild it it seems like there's just not enough of it so that is a good Saturn lesson is that that time is just a construct but it is an essential one and you have to figure out how to how to work with it instead of fighting against it yeah yeah and as you can imagine my moon in Pisces is just like everything's (laughs) ineffable like what time like make more of it if you want it like shrink it expand it like do anything but my Saturn is like no there are 24 hours in a day like what are you gonna do you know Mm -hmm. how are you gonna use these and it's it's been really interesting and I I've also in these years have found myself in a serious relationship with someone who is now my fiance and I'm going to get married to him and I'm in love with him and it's amazing Aww. but it's been also very hard to then see myself at through the mirror of a relationship for all of the things that I had just not allowed myself to really look at because when it's just me on me I don't need to sort of deal with the fact that I don't I have these blind spots you know which is why astrology is a really good it's a, it's a good mirror, speaking of haunted mirrors, yeah. to have because in lieu of a relationship or a job that makes you feel fulfilled or, you know, when there's something in your life that you're like, I don't, I can't see how I'm going to get that thing. Astrology mm-hmm. can become a really wonderful sort of like, um, it's, a, it's a nice reflective surface to say like, you can have it and this is what it looks like in relation to this. So this is the, these are the ways that you may want to pursue bringing that into your life in the physical well in the physical realm I love that you described astrology as a mirror that's one of my favorite metaphors for astrology and I think too with what we were talking about with transits before um, if you think about mirrors in fiction and in myth there's so many examples of where looking into the mirror is somehow 
dangerous or scary, or you think about Galadriel's mirror in Lord of the Rings, you think about the mirror in Alice in Wonderland, that's a portal to a whole other upside down place. Yeah, and um, then Narcissus, his reflection, big totally. problem. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you're right. I think you... Um, so while we're talking about Saturn, I wanted to ask you what you think about the Saturn-Uranus squares that are coming up next year. I thought maybe a Saturn-ruled person might have some insight on what <laughs> to expect. <laughs> Man, um, well, you know, I, in in full transparency, a lot of my more mundane, bigger macro astrology, I feel I have to get deep into the history of those transits in order for me to really, Mm -hmm. really be able to wrap my head around them. And I haven't had the time to do it yet. So um, I'm going to speak more, less about sort of the historical context because there's a lot of historical context Um, Mm -hmm. and more about just sort of what the energies are and how interesting yeah. they are because Saturn, you know, in I, this is why I love uh, all of the different ways to approach astrology. Um, I love the modern and I love the traditional. So if we were to use modern astrology, then Saturn is reporting to Uranus, right? And mm-hmm. Saturn in Aquarius. So Saturn is reporting to Uranus, so there's sort of this, so it goes back to Uranus, but then Uranus is in a very debilitated state in Taurus, right? So it's like Mm -hmm. that Uranus, you know, Aquarius and Uranus and Taurus are saying like, we want to change things here. And Taurus is like literally clinging on for dear life of like, no. Also the imagery that comes to mind is like, you know, it's, clinging always feels like cancerian to me being a bull Mm -hmm. and like standing in someone's way feels like taurus like blockading right like blockades are very taurian i think it's interesting that we're already seeing i was reading this morning about people like you know setting up their trucks outside of voting booths so that people can't get through and i was Mm. like well that's 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 very taurian you know to block off (laughs) um so that is going to be really interesting to see, like, you know, what happens when progress is blockaded. Um, but mm. then if we use a traditional way of looking at things, well, if we use a traditional way of looking at things, then Uranus isn't even there in we the first place. We Uranus at all, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, we could say that um, Saturn is still very, very happy to be in Aquarius. And Saturn in Aquarius is in its, in its domicile still, and that means that mm-hmm. it has a sort of a, a sense. That means that of those two, it's definitely the one who's coming in with the the stronger angle and the stronger edge, and therefore has the ability to say like, "Fuck off!" Like I'm going to be moving through and breaking these boundaries, regardless of whether you are saying it's appropriate or inappropriate for me to. So I think that depending on, and I think it's all true, you know, is also the cool thing with astrology is that everything is true in a way, you know, like all of these different ways of interpreting it have validity. But I think that fundamentally we're going to see a a big macro desire for change and a big macro desire to keep things the way they are. 
Mm, yeah, that it's so paradoxical, but so true. I guess squares are paradoxes anyways, right? Um, thank you so much for sharing that. And also, I think that you're absolutely right. One thing that I notice in astrology conversations, maybe it's just because we're all online and we all love chatting about it so much, but the best thing about astrology is we can it's so broad and so wide and we can all dive into different areas, right? And so I'm definitely not, I dip my toe into the mundane waters sometimes, but there are people who do that a lot better than me. Like Austin Kopic, for example, amazing with the yearly forecasts. Um, but there are other folks who, you know, like everyone has their own way. Some people read with only the traditional seven planets. Some people bring Uranus into it. And so, yeah. I feel personally like it would be an oversight to not consider the modern planets. You know, I feel 100%, like 100 percent. I feel if for traditional astrologers out there who did not who are not following the Saturn Pluto conjunction, like what a loss yeah. of, of interpreting <laughs> 2020, you know, what an mm -hmm. what an incredible loss on being able to bring archetypes in. And then, you know, of course, Jupiter, Pluto, which has been tremendous in this journey as well, a little less talked about. But I think especially since it's had it's been a trifecta, you know, we've seen the swells mm -hmm. of Jupiter and Pluto in a very tangible way. Um, and then, of course, you know, this all of this is really going to get ushered in by the Greek conjunction. And that is happening in the end of December at the beginning of January. And then Jupiter starts squaring Uranus like right, a, right away. And mm -hmm. 2021 is going to be just like, it's, it's fixed signs. It's like a fixed signs uh, festivities, right? It's like just fixed energy, so much fixed of like, what's it going to look like? How are we going to define it? Let's make it, let's make it this way. Let's make it that way. So it's going to be really interesting to see how our vocabulary changes in relation to wanting to clarify and define and, mm. and put value onto things. I love that word value. I think that is such a big word with Uranus and Taurus. And I'm so curious to see how especially the Saturn squares change what we value. I hope that it will end with us valuing people more and taking action to, you know, Make sure that everyone has the rights and basic needs and, you know, even beyond that taken care of. But you never know. Um, well, there's also I just want to add this kind of just popped into my heart yeah. for a moment was is that, you know, do I trust Aquarius with the environment? Not really. Mm. Do I trust Taurus with the environment? Yes, I do. So there is an interesting paradox there because I do trust Taurus ecologically a lot more than I trust Aquarius ecologically but Uranus is in Taurus Uranus is associated with Aquarius you know Saturn is about committing to things so I think that if we want to sort of put an, an a positive spin on this there's the innovation of maintaining and sustainability and if those two can work together really harmoniously, I trust that Uranus in Taurus is going to want to take care of the environment and the place that we're in, which includes the people. Mm -hmm. And that's the Aquarius take on it, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. I love that you mentioned Aquarius versus Taurus and the environment. And you're right, the, the environment is such a Taurus um, piece of things. So how do you think that maybe, why would you not trust Aquarius with the environment? Um, because I, I think that Aquarius is... That's a good question. I think that Aquarius is a little bit too macro mm, for mm -hmm. the environment's needs for for I think that Aquarius can understand like climate change. Yes. But I think when it comes to implementing what that means in sort of microclimates and on like a hands-on level, it's a little bit too granular for Aquarius. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I was totally resonating with everything you were saying. I was like, that is so, that is such an interesting inroad into this transit. And for me, the Aquarius stuff, I'm both excited and nervous because my, my hot take is that I feel like Aquarius is so related to science and technology and especially outer space. Um, and we've had so many, just even since Saturn barely touched Aquarius this year, we've had so many interesting space discoveries like the water on the moon and like unclassifying things from the U.S. Navy. Um, and I just, I'm so excited to see what everything in Aquarius will bring. I mean, if you think about um, Jupiter and Aquarius, you know, Jack Parsons, who is an occultist, but also gave us the science to invent rocket fuel, had Jupiter and Aquarius. So I see what you're saying. And what I'm trying to get out, I guess, is that I think Aquarius loves invention and Aquarius in almost a Jupiterian way, like wants to expand and go across boundaries. It's kind of like the opening to Star Trek, the next generation, like space, the final frontier. But I don't I don't trust Saturn there to look after it in that sort of Star Trek. Everybody gets their needs met kind of way. Yeah. And I think that it's like if we think about the Saturn myth and the Saturn imagery, it, it's the Grim Reaper. You mm -hmm. know, it's like it it has it's like cutting the crops out mm. so it's decropping is saturn you know it's definitely not planting seeds um so yeah i mean i think maybe if anything i'm a little concerned that like to your point like we'll see like okay well earth is a mess yeah so let's start planting on another planet you know like let's move agriculture to another space because we fucked up here and like not recognizing that earth you know well obviously this is not this is my very <laughs> singular opinion on it but i think it's a very very special planet and i don't think that you're going to find another earth very easily yeah um so i think that instead of just being like well we're we fucked up so like we're gonna bail like no like you, there is no bailing like this is it you know like commit to improving not just to like cutting everything down and starting over somewhere else because you're gonna fuck it up all over again somewhere else if you do yeah absolutely um that's just uh i love your future tripping <laughs> with me on uh going to the moon and not planting crops i guess um, yeah, I mean, isn't it really interesting that they're like, oh, we found water on the moon. Like, that's what I we was have thinking climate about. issues here. I know. Like, <laughs> mm. 
like don't even think about touching her you know like stop it you're gonna don't get your grubby hands on another celestial body like figure (laughs) out how to be an earthling you know maybe that is the catchphrase for the saturn uranus squares figure out how to be an earthling Yes. I'm glad that yes. we solved that. I also think it's really interesting that a lot of conspiracy theorists really lean heavily into this, these sentient aliens, huh? you know, as either they are from, I don't, I'm not going to go yeah. deep into it because I don't even understand <laughs> it, but star seeds, seedlings, so there's some, oh, I don't know, I don't know if yeah, the aliens are yeah, bad, yeah. I don't know if they're good, I don't know if we're aliens, I don't know if we're getting downloads from aliens, but there's a lot of like, attention on extraterrestrial wisdom but Mm. it's like bitch not applicable you know like you're of the earth figure out your own wisdom you know absolutely i think that hopefully maybe by the end of uranus and taurus we'll figure out the whole earth wisdom bit um (laughs) (laughs) yeah no problem (laughs) um I know this is a little, a little to the side, but I really wanted to ask you about this because, well, first of all, I noticed that our Venuses are conjunct one another, albeit out of sign, which I think is super cool. Yours is in Libra, mine is in Virgo, so very different. Um, But we both have a little bit of a background in art. Um, Yours is in art history, in studio art, and we've both worked in art galleries, which is cool. And as we're thinking about Uranus and Taurus and art and, you know, sensuality and all of these things, how has your work with art influenced your work with astrology and the occult? Or have they overlapped? Oh, my God. Yes, I so much. I it's like it's it's so exciting. And so it's like, oh, man, I get so pumped up thinking (laughs) about how uh working with art and you know both the physical aspect of working with art and then working as you know in the art you know thinking art historically and studying art history and then working in the art market and the art world mm-hmm. has all been has given me so much information about the mythology and the archetypes of these planets and these zodiac signs and just the other day I found my a CD that is my lecture from college on, it was called, I named it Return to Representation, um, Neoconservative Postmodernism. And it was about how in the early 1980s, all of these, like the art market and like the gallery world really sort of leaned into the Reagan era, like Wolf of Wall Street finance bros. (laughs) And became something that, like, the most square, like, American Psycho-esque, like, (laughs) Huey Lewis in the news, you know, like, people were starting to want to fill their homes with art. So then the artists, like, Julian Schnabel and Mm -hmm. his contemporaries were doing these replicas of, like, Botticelli's and Caravaggio's because they're in the canon as, like, respectable like this is reverent art you know and this is if you have this you are rich so this from that moment you know all of the fluxus work and the performance art and like rethinking about the gallery as a community space which is also saturn and aquarius was over because it wasn't commodifiable anymore the Mm -hmm. gallery had to become a, a a mall for really really rich people 
And that also coincided with the politics of that time on a macro level moving into more conservative, you know, like the Reagan era really ushering in what neoconservatism is. And at that time, and I, I was... I studied this for a year. I was so embedded in it and like it was just so fascinating. And now I found that CD a few days ago and I was like, yeah, duh, the fucking Saturn and Pluto conjunction happened in 1982. Oh my God, like, yeah. But duh. Like, of course, that that was 38 years in ago. In Libra, right? And now here. Yes. Perfect. In Libra. And it was, you know, it's just so amazing to now add the layer of the planets on top mm. of these art movements and on top of what art means and what it represents, and to really think about how it, you know, it ebbs and flows and sort of waxes and wanes with the planet's own cycles too. And I have now sort of been inspired to go back and start to really look at in different art periods, in different art history moments, what was going on on a planetary level because it's going to, it's another layer to be able to understand the collective consciousness. I love that so, so much. And hopefully you will share a little bit of that with us either on on your Instagram or uh, some sort of paid channel because you deserve to be paid for that deep, deep research, honestly. <laughs> it takes so much time. Like you were talking about with Saturn and time, I, I have similar uh, obsessions. I haven't done it with art, but I love doing it with writers. I went on a kick where I looked at writers by Mercury signs um, and looked for similarities in um, writing style and writing content and just how they express their ideas. Um, Have you looked at Stephen King's astrology chart? Yes! Because it's so interesting. The third house, Virgo, and how all of his work, or at least like so much of his work, is about the allegory of writing. Absolutely. It's so incredible. And it I think it's really interesting with Stephen King too because he is we think of him as the king of horror and spectacle and just you read him to be scared or sort of um, appalled at times, but he has Mercury in Libra. Um, and I I notice Mercury with Mercury in Libra it's people who are really able to find beauty in whatever topic they're writing about. It was also the sign of sort of career writers, like people who ended up writing like a big franchise, like George R.R. Martin has Mercury and Libra, and Michael Crichton has it as well. So Jurassic Park and Westworld and all of that. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Your Mercury is in Virgo, right? So, oh, of course you were like, let's find the Virgo in here. <laughs> Yeah, Mercury and Virgo, Mars and Virgo, which is really like the biggest pain in the ass in my chart, to be honest. <laughs> How does having Mercury and Mars in the same sign show up for you? Are you just constantly wanting to fight well, for they're, things? Well, they're on, they're on opposite sides of the zodiac. Of, of you know, they're yeah. not conjunct, so that I I feel like is, you know, it works with them and against them. My Mercury and Virgo, my Mercury and Virgo is like delightful. I'm I'm so happy to have Mercury in Virgo, but my Mars and my Moon are in opposition. Mm-hmm. And my, this, I, I am really a, it's very hard for me to, I am so micro when I write and like when I create something, I am so intense and I get tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. But then 
I look around and, you know, we're recording this with Skype as well. If I were to show you what my room looks like that I'm creating in, it's a disaster. (laughs) Like, it is a mess because I'm so micro-focused on the thing that I'm doing that everything else just, like, falls to shit. So that is really kind of, I would say if there was one placement that I would still I still have not fully found compassion for of course it would have to be a Virgo placement but it is the Mars and Virgo (laughs) Virgo placements are really really hard Venus and Virgo over here and it's one of my favorite placements but also maybe the hardest um, in my chart it's it's tough stuff and also you're not alone with a messy room you can't see I have it I have it carefully placed on the one blank wall um, where you you can't see the explosion um Maybe it's just the explosion. Yeah, the great artists in us are more concerned with the beauty in the art than the beauty in the room. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That feels very validating. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I cannot believe it's been almost an hour. That is just wild to me. But we're coming to the end of our time. I could talk to you about outer space and art history for probably three more hours. We'll save that for another time. Me too, because Amelia, I love that we're both such massive nerds. And like we just love to nerd out on things. I feel like such kindred spirits with you. And I feel like our motivation for coming into astrology I at least this is my impression feels like it kind of came from a similar place which is just like a love of learning and wanting to learn everything and loving the 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 art of information 100 percent. that was the the that was the reason so I totally feel that kindred spirit vibe with you too and we definitely share that deep motivation Um, Thinking about learning, I wanted to close on a question for people who are just starting out their astrological journey like we were with our Parker's astrology books and all of that. Um, So what advice would you have for someone who's just starting out? Or rather, what do you wish you knew when you were starting your own astrological journey? Um, I wish that I knew that I needed more time. (laughs) I wish that I knew that there were going to be certain things that just had that just have to unfold through time Mm -hmm. and not even through just the data and the knowledge. But it's also being at the right being in, you know, as an astrologer, we're not algorithms, we're we're sentient beings who also live our lives Mm -hmm. and there's going to be some interpretations of things that even if you read it in a book and you hear other astrologers talking about it and you want to understand it and you want it to click like it'll click when it needs to click it'll click when it has to and until then emphasize what you know and focus on becoming really really good at the things that feel approachable and relatable but don't worry about the things that feel weird and too far off um, focus on the things that you feel passionate about and that will just organically guide you through your journey. Thank you so much. That This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I really have enjoyed this conversation.